airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh oh. Uh oh. The rights of man come not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God. Think about that quote. The rights of man come not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God. That is my favorite quote by John F. Kennedy, JFK 1961. And with that quote, we welcome you to today's edition of Airing the Addisons on the American Family Radio Network. Alex McFarland here. Glad to be with you today. And folks, we have got a big show. Text a friend, tweet it out. We're live on the AFR Network, and we've got a very great guest in just a minute. Uh, William J. Federer, a historian, an author, uh, one of the most powerful public speakers you'll ever hear. And he is one of the keynote speakers this weekend in Richmond, Virginia at Truth for a New Generation. He's graciously agreed to give us a little bit of his afternoon and to be on the show with us today, and we're going to bring him to the mic in just a minute. But I want to welcome you. I want to say what an honor it is to be hosting this week for Will and Miki Addison. They, too, are en route to Virginia because Miki is going to be one of our keynote speakers here at uh, TNG, Richmond. And I'm actually coming to you today from the venue, live from Mount Vernon Baptist Church. Now, I say Richmond. In, to be specific, it's a suburb called Glen Allen, Virginia, and not hard to find. Big, beautiful church, wonderful people, and uh, we would invite you to come. It's going to be phenomenal. Todd Stearns is going to be here. Kamal Salim, former Muslim Kamal Salim, and as I was driving in to the church today to set up our kind of remote and begin to do the program, I saw here in Virginia, you know, we're just a little ways outside of our nation's capital, uh, Northern Virginia, a lot of military, a lot of history here, but a ginormous mosque being built, uh, an Islamic mosque right here, and it just reminds me of how many people all around us need Jesus Christ and how our nation needs Christ, and we were reminded of that last night. Man, what an experience. Last night, my wife and I were in Greensboro, the Franklin Graham Decision America Tour, and I know um, they've got Charlotte and Asheville coming up. Uh, Greensboro, by the way, is, is really significant because Greensboro is where Billy Graham uh, did a, a crusade back in 1952, and it was hugely, hugely influential in the life of uh, not only North Carolina, but really uh, years and years ago, Franklin Graham told me the Greensboro crusade was pretty significant in the growth of the ministry of Billy Graham. But on that very same spot last night, Franklin was there. I was thinking about this, how significant that 60-some years after his dad was in that very spot, Franklin Graham was more than 10,000 people. And if you were there in, in North Carolina last night, uh, you know, um, I'll say it this way, folks, the air was thick with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Jeremy Camp played music, Dennis Agajanian, who's an amazing guitar player. Then Franklin Graham preached the gospel, uh, gave a, a just a very simple message on the prodigal son. 
I looked around, hundreds and hundreds of people stood up and, and stood for a long time, indicating their decision to be saved. And let me tell you, Franklin Graham courageously, I mean, he preached the gospel and the love of Jesus, but he laid the cards on the table about righteousness. And he's, Franklin Graham last night, and there was tons of news media there, 10,000 people plus, a beautiful outdoor fall sky. Listen to this. He said, marriage is between a man and a woman. God made us, and the, the Word of God is clear. Morality is clear. The Bible tells, tells us that it's written on the hearts of all people, right from wrong. And, he, and Franklin Graham said this, and I quote, he said, there is no such thing as transgenderism. Uh, there are males and females, and our problem is sin. Only Jesus can deliver us. And uh, you could have heard a pin drop. It was amazing. Uh, thousands and thousands of people. Franklin Graham was just very calmly, but very, with great conviction, sharing the truth of God's Word, the truth of reality. And one person did shout, preach it. But you could have heard a pin drop, and I wondered if there would be protesters or, or any hecklers. There weren't. I mean, it was such a beautiful thing to experience the Holy Spirit in the midst of that huge crowd, and frankly, the spirit of reverence and conviction. We need that again. We've had that at different junctures in our nation's history. And I'm going to bring somebody to the mic right now. You need to lean in, turn up the volume. Uh, you don't want to miss the insights of Bill Federer. He's one of our keynote speakers, and we're going to open up for questions as well. Folks, this is a unique opportunity to ask a question of one of America's preeminent historians, specifically as uh, our Constitution, our founders, the theistic, moral, Christian uh, orientation from which they built our nation. Uh, Bill Federer is is really the expert on this topic, God and country. And so, Bill, I want to thank you for making time to be with us. I know I went kind of lengthy on that intro there, but we're, we're going to spend a few minutes visiting with you. And I, I welcome you, and I want to say thanks for being on the show, and thanks for coming to Virginia this weekend for Truth for a New Generation. Well, Alex, I'm thrilled to be coming there this weekend, uh, actually beginning tomorrow night. And yeah. uh, you are a tremendous and apologetics, defending our Christian faith, and arming especially the next generation on how to stand up for their faith on college campuses and so forth. And You know, you mentioned in the intro, uh, it reminds me of a YouTube video of Piers Morgan, and he is interviewing one of the leaders of the transgendered movement in England. And he said, now you're saying there's 70 different gender genders. Um, can you tell me what uh, neutrosis is? And the guy's like, well, I don't know. And he says, can you tell me what this other is? And the guy didn't know. He says, you don't even know what these genders are. And you want to teach these to the kids? And uh, he just pointed out how, uh, really, it makes no sense at all. And it's just trying to introduce lawlessness and confusion, which is a communist tactic, because out of confusion, there's no moral restraints, there's chaos, and then everybody begins to say, we need the government to step in to restore order. And at that time, you transition the form of government to a dictatorship. Yeah. You're right. You introduce disorder, uh, away with the old order, introduction of disorder, and then implementation of the new order. Uh, that That's right out of the Saul Alinsky playbook, isn't it? Well, it is, and it even goes further back than that. I was reading Plato's Republic, uh, books eight and nine. <laughs> I quote them extensively yeah. in my book, Rise of the Tyrant. Uh, 
Uh, it's a book where I go through the very few, uh, the most common form of government in world history is kings, Pharaoh, Caesar, Kaiser, Sultan, Tsar, and they begin with Nimrod Tower of Babel, and as the centuries go on, the kingdoms get bigger, because with military advancements, you can kill more people, iron stronger than bronze, phalanx, spears, scimitar, swords, gunpowder. The weapon changes, but it's that same fallen nature it can kill and able. It's just magnified mm-hmm. through technology, and uh, it has a global goal in mind, sort of a one-world government type thing. And, um, and so it's very rare. So the first instance in recorded history of a nation ruling itself with no king was ancient Israel. Around 1400 BC, it leaves the Pharaoh in Egypt, which at the time was the most was the most powerful empire on the planet. And for 400 years, Israel has no king, and uh, they are all ruled by the law. I explain to people, it's like everybody has a behavioral app on their iPhone. Instead yeah. of a GPS app telling you where to turn, it's a, a law behavioral app that tells you how to act. <laughs> Right? Be nice to this person, and it's in real time, right? Don't steal that. And uh, and the Levites are the computer geeks that help you to download this app. And then the big question is, why would you follow it? Well, Israel hey, introduced the key ingredient. Uh, there's a he, God who's he, watching everyone. He wants you to be yeah. fair, and he's going to hold you accountable in the future. You know, I've always and thought it was, it was really poignant um, when Israel wanted a king, and uh, you know, you read in First Samuel, you know, Israel told God, we want to be like other nations, and God essentially said, yes, but you're not like other nations. They were a special called-out people, and, you know, of course, through whom God would send the Messiah, ultimately. And I think about America. Whenever I've, you know, spoken or been on a panel at universities, and they'll say, well, you know, Europe does this, and Sweden does that, and Japan, you know, has experimented with various forms of universal health care, and you know, America, we want to be like other nations, and I think about Israel and, and America. You know, we're, we're not like other nations, though. Uh, as, as Tocqueville said, you know, we were great because we were good. And in a way, do you see any parallels between Israel wanting to throw off law and lord and have, have an earthly king? Has that been in any way analogous to America wanting to throw off God and Christianity and be a secular statist country? Uh, exactly. Uh, it, it is so clear. So if you can imagine a spectrum of power, one side is total government, the other side is no government. Total government, you get a king, he rules through fear, you do what he says or he kills you. No government is anarchy. No government, uh, unless each person is taught the law, it's like everybody has that behavioral app. But then the question is, why would you follow the law? What would motivate you to follow an internal moral? Well, ancient Israel had the key ingredient. There is a God who is watching everyone. He wants you to be fair, and he is going to hold you accountable in the future. So you're about to steal. Nobody's around. You know you can get away with it. And then you think, God is watching me. He wants me to be fair. He's going to hold me accountable. Maybe I should hesitate stealing. And it creates something in your head called a conscience. If everybody in the country really believes this, that they're individually accountable to God, then you can maintain complete order with no pleas, maximum liberty. Now, it only works with the God of the Bible. An Islamic Allah God says, there's an infidel woman there, you can rape her, you can lie to this infidel, steal from that. The God of the Bible says, everybody's made in the image of God. Male and female, doesn't matter what race or color or economic status, everybody's made in the image of the Creator. And this Creator wants you to treat everybody fair. There's no respect of persons in judgment. 
And uh, so when we say in America it's one nation under God, it's more than just a nice little acknowledgement. It's the awareness that there is this God, He wants you to be fair, He's going to hold you accountable in the future. It's that awareness that causes you to have self-restraint, to obey mm-hmm. internal morals and virtues, and therefore we can have a country with very few external laws um, because we have more internal moral laws. Sure. Well, you know, Washington, wasn't it George Washington who said it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God and to obey His will? Yes, it is. And um, and then also John Adams said our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate for the government of any other. In other words, our government was designed to govern people who can govern themselves. And the more internal restraints the populace had, the less external restraints they needed. So like a teeter-totter, right? More internal restraints, less external restraints. This is one of the questions I have for libertarians, because they say, let's get rid of all the external restraints. I'm like, yeah, but unless you counterbalance it with internal moral restraints, you're just going to have lawlessness. And even Plato said, out of lawlessness comes the dictator. Um, Mm -hmm. I I began talking about that um, real quick. So Plato, 380 B.C., um, you have um, an interesting study. So uh, Athens. I had a, a king named Draco, and he uh, would rule by his whims and caprices. So the people say, look, king, it's too chaotic. At least at least write these things down. So Draco has the first written laws for Athens. But it's the death penalty for every other thing. So they're called draconian laws. Draconian, really, really yes. Strict. Anyway, so 592 B.C., Athens gets a new king, Solon, S-O-L-O-N, Solon. He invents democracy and then leaves town so they have to do it. And in a democracy, everybody every day has to go to the market to talk politics. 6,000 citizens, they go to the Agora. If you, if you don't show up for a couple of days, you don't know what's going on, and you're called an idiotist, <laughs> an idiot. Uh, wow. Um, I, I think we know what, what that word implies. But, hey, folks, you're listening to Airing the Addisons on the American Family Radio Network. Alex McFarland sitting in for Will and Mickey who are en route to Truth For New Generation. One of our keynote speakers, a favorite, Bill Federer, is with us. Now, here's the number, folks. We're going to take your calls. You can ask your questions of Bill Federer and myself, 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. And we're asking the question, uh, can America turn back to God? What would it take? And should we? Should we return to the convictions and beliefs of our founders and really our beliefs up till the present time or the recent time? Stay tuned. Airing the Addisons on the American Family Radio Network is back after this. Don't go away. A Moment of Truth with Gary Bryden of the Association of Independent Methodists. Great leaders are not flawless. Have you noticed as you read through the Bible how many people that God used that had major flaws? For example, Moses was a man used by God to deliver his people out of Egypt. He was reared as a prince of Egypt. While his natural mother instructed him in the things of Jehovah, he was educated in the manners and customs of Egypt. He fled Egypt because of murdering an Egyptian. Yet he met God on Mount Sinai. He was transformed and used of God. Our forefathers were not perfect, but used of God to give us a land of freedom. They deserve our praise, not our criticism. 
the Association of Independent Methodists, like-minded congregations doing together what can't be done separately. Visit aim2020.com. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt, credit card debt, and I heard a commercial for Trinity. I gave them a call. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. When I first called, I was a little embarrassed and kind of ashamed, and I looked at the numbers and I saw how quickly that astronomical debt that was in my life would go away. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. What I would tell other people, please pick up the phone and call Trinity. Just let them put together a program and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Here's Don Shank with today's global update from the Tide Ministry, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ internationally through radio broadcasts in the languages people were born to speak. Our new radio studio in Zimbabwe was a long time coming, so its completion is a reason to celebrate. This new studio will enable the Tide Ministry to reach even more people in Zimbabwe and beyond. For many months, the Tide Ministry has worked with our partners in Zimbabwe on this studio project, and those efforts came to fruition at the end of this summer. In August, a team of 12 from the Tide Ministry traveled to Zimbabwe for a dedication ceremony. Besides spreading the good news about Jesus, the new studio also provides a potential income source for the community as our partners can now offer audio production services as a means of sustainability. For more information about how the Tide International Radio Ministry is helping to spread the gospel in Zimbabwe and other countries around the world, visit thetide.org. That's thetide.org. Welcome back to Airing the Addisons, Alex McFarlane. You know, I love quotes, and, and here's Calvin Coolidge, who, you know, he's not often listed in the, the annals of the great, great presidents, but he did do a lot of good. He cut taxes and grew the economy, but Coolidge said this. Now, listen to this, folks, as we resume our conversation with William J. Federer, one of my favorite authors. But Coolidge said this, quote, The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. With that, we welcome back Bill Federer. And I do. I know we've got some callers on hold. Folks, rare opportunity for you to ask a question of one of the great um, historians of our country, Bill Federer, and the number is 888-589-8840. And we're going to get to Sherry in Oklahoma in just a second. But Bill, before we go too much farther, how can people follow you online? And uh, the, the I know you've got so much content, but where can people find you? Uh, well, first, they can come to the uh, Truth for a New Generation conference tomorrow and Saturday. Uh, Good in answer. Allen, Virginia. <laughs> and um, but uh, also, my website is AmericanMinute.com. American Minute. And folks, it's phenomenal. And your books 
Um, how many books have you written now, Bill? Uh, well, it's over 20. Uh, I used to think that was a lot until I was interviewing um, uh, Josh McDowell, and he goes, oh, I think I've written 200. <laughs> it's like, okay, I won't brag anymore. Um, yeah. But um, uh, but they're all history-related. You know, I, I was mentioning to Plato, and I'll just throw this in real quick. So Plato said that a, a democracy, the chief characteristic is tolerance. It's great. Everybody learns how to tolerate each other. And then they tolerate people that are a little bit off. Then they tolerate people that are a lot off. So they begin tolerating crooks and crime and fraud. And, and then he says that it creeps into the family. Sons are disrespectful to their fathers. And then he says the young man gives into libertinism and useless and unnecessary pleasures, even incest and unnatural union. And he goes on to mm. explain, you know what? And he says that it's a casting off of virtue and self-restraint. Uh, they end up raiding the treasury, and then they go bankrupt, and they begin to bicker, and it turns into social and domestic chaos. And then everybody says, can't someone come along and fix this mess? And that's when comes along, somebody's all smiles, promises everybody everything, and they begin to yield their freedoms to him. And uh, then they realize this guy's getting too powerful, and they cast it in his teeth. And he has a choice, give up power or get rid of these people confronting him. And he, he is a lover of power, so he purchases his administration and military of anybody left that has virtue. All he wants is yes men. And mm -hmm. um, finally, he stands in the chariot of state holding the reins of power, and he's revealed as a tyrant. So you can sum it all up in democracy without virtue ends in chaos out of which the people, knee-jerk reaction, will beg some big, powerful government leader to restore order. And when they do, they'll collect all your weapons and take away all your freedoms. And yeah, they'll restore order. But you'll have transitioned from the people ruling themselves bottom-up to a tyrant ruling from the top down. Sure. You, you know, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Plato. I'm reading a, a biography of Socrates by the, the famed historian Paul Johnson, who wrote the history of the American people and the history of the Jews. And and the Socrates, and it's not, you know, it doesn't take a lot of IQ to understand the life of Socrates, so don't, you know, let these Greek philosophers, you know, scare you. But Socrates basically said, you know, his his moral theory could be reduced to this, that, you know, we must have virtue. And the, the highest uh, achievement of life is to live virtuously and be a person of truth. And how, how powerful that would be for our times if we could get back to that. Okay, I want to go to Sherry from Oklahoma. Folks, thanks for holding. We, we will do our very best to get to you and give you an opportunity to interact with, with William J. Federer. The number is 888-589-8840. Sherry from Oklahoma, thanks for holding. Welcome to the AFR Network. Hello, Brother Alex. Thank you for having me on. Um, I listen to you and Bert a lot, and you bless my heart uh, every time I do, and I appreciate you well, for that. But, thank um, you. What I'm calling today, <laughs> what I'm calling today for, is first time I've called into a radio radio show, so if I'm I'm a little nervous about that, but um, you're doing I great. Hey, you, um, back. I heard you a few weeks ago talk about blind spots, and it's actually right along something that I had spoke to our Sunday school class and stuff about is I recognized some years ago that um, I had a blind spot in my walk, and um, it was in regards to the pro-life movement, and I've been a part of that for a long time. And In fact, we just recently opened a pregnancy center here in my local community that I'm on the board and everything of. And uh, I feel very strongly about coming alongside these women, but where the blind spot was, was that I recognized is that we've been regulating the murder of innocent human beings. And as Christians... 
we're not supposed to use this man's wisdom. What I had saw was that we've used man's wisdom and we've said, oh man, that's all we can do when we submit it to the Supreme Court when they've never had the constitutional power to make new law, especially in the taking of a human life. Uh, that's nowhere in the Constitution. If it was, as Christians, we should be standing up and saying that shouldn't be happening and uh, and not compromising on that. You don't compromise on murder. God bless you, and I commend you for being a part of a of a pregnancy care center and, and standing on your pro-life convictions. Uh, Bill, speak to this. Uh, respond, if you would. Right, so Jesus was in Mary's womb from the moment of conception. When the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, she conceived and was, was pregnant with, with Jesus. So Christians cannot help but be completely pro-life that all life begins at the moment of conception. And, um, and there's, you know, the scriptures in Jeremiah, where I knew you in your mother's womb, or Psalms 127, that, you know, he knit us together in the, in the, in the womb, and, uh, and, you know, Isaac uh, and Rebecca, and Rebecca had Jacob and Esau, and two nations are wrestling in her womb, and, and they're alive, and God recognizes them. And so uh, I think we're serving a just God, and we... we there's two parts of God that I highlight. One is he's a just God, and the other, he's a loving God. What does that mean? A just God means he has to judge every sin. If he does not judge a sin, he is effectively giving consent to the sin. Right? Silence equals consent in law. Remember the wedding ceremonies. Anybody against this wedding better speak now or forever hold your peace. If you're sitting there holding your peace, you are giving consent to the wedding. And your silence is, so if God is silent when there's a sin, he's giving consent, and he is not going to give consent to sin. So his very nature drives him to want to judge the sin. That's mm-hmm. been implanted in each of us so much that every police drama you see on TV, like NCIS, starts off with an injustice done in the first two minutes. Right, Some innocent person is killed, and you're held captive the rest of the hour, wanting the person that did it to be caught and brought to justice. You just know he's got to get caught. And so this, uh, the situation is God, his nature is he has to judge every sin. But God is love, and that he provided himself a lamb. Remember when uh, Adam and Eve sinned, and it says God mm-hmm. made Adam and Eve coats of skins? Well, how do you make a coat of skin? you got to kill an animal. Um, mm-hmm. And then Abel, you know, killed an animal. And so uh, the idea is that God is just, he judges every sin, he's love, and that uh, uh, he provided the Lamb to take the judgment. And so the, the mercy and love of God is poured out through the Lamb. And so the high priest, if, if he would have gone into the Holy of Holies by himself, he would have been approaching the judgment seat of God, but he brings in the blood of the Lamb. The blood turns it from a judgment seat into a mercy seat. And, Amen. Uh, anyway, well, I'm going to bring this up. So, so well, if, you, if Cain kills Abel uh, and, and the blood cries out for judgment, if we got 60 million babies' blood crying out, it's crying out for God to judge our country, which means we better repent. Exactly, exactly. And you know, God is a righteous judge. Um, when people say, you know, the God I believe in is love, uh, Oprah Winfrey said this. I, I saw the clip 20 years ago when Oprah Winfrey said, uh, the God I believe in is love, and he would never judge anyone. Um, my, the thought that went through my head was, well, make sure the God you believe in is, in fact, the true God. Because, you know, the Bible talks about those that, that don't know the true God. And, f- friends, when, when people talk about being, quote-unquote, spiritual, 
And they, they talk about God being love, 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 and God is love, but God is holiness and justice, as Bill said. Um, to believe that God could somehow be okay with abortion, to believe that God could somehow be okay with the redefinition of marriage, and that the sins the Bible explicitly condemns are somehow now declassified and are no longer sin, if you can believe in the God that would... Uh, change his mind on sin, that's not the true God. That's not the true God. And, uh, you know, I think about Matthew 7, 24, where many will say, Lord, Lord, and the true God, the, the one that's actually on the throne of the judgment of history, the Lord Jesus, Jesus is going to say to millions of people, uh, I, never, I never knew you. you. You were spiritual, you talked a lot about God and religion, but you didn't know the true and living God. Sherry, God bless you, thanks for calling. We're going to go to Chris in Indiana. The number, uh, should you choose to participate in the conversation, the number is 888-589-8840. We're talking with historian, author, speaker, and great American, William J. Federer. Chris from Indiana, are you still there? You've been holding a long time. Thanks, yes, man. Sir. Are you there? Welcome to the program. Yes, I am, Alex. Yeah, thank you so much, and I appreciate uh, you taking my call. Um, and it is an honor to, to get on the phone with Mr. Federer. I get his emails every day about the history of this country and, and how that is. And I just had a quick question. Um, you know, concerning the uh, separations of church and state, you know, you guys were saying how our country has to get back to some sort of moral standing. Um, with that argument that's constantly used by the ACLU, how was it originally written? Or how is it originally supposed to be interpreted, and why has it been so misconstrued to today? I'll get off and listen to what you have to say. Great thank question. Now, well, thank you for that call. And uh, one of the things I did is I read through every charter of every colony and every state constitution for every state. And lo and behold, 13 colonies, each one was founded by a different Christian denomination. Virginia was Anglican. Massachusetts was Puritan. North uh, Carolina and South Carolina were uh, Anglican. Uh, you had Maryland was originally founded by Catholics, Rhode Island by Baptists, Connecticut, New Hampshire by Congregationalists, Pennsylvania by Quakers, New York by Dutch Reformed, Delaware and New Jersey was were originally Swedish Lutheran. And they did not get along. They would tar and feather each other. But then when the revolution starts, they have to work together against the King of England. After the revolution, their attitude changed to... We may not always agree on religion, but you were willing to fight and die for my freedom. I need to let you practice your faith. And so I read through every state constitution. Nine of the original 13 state constitutions required office holders to be Protestant. North Carolina, all office holders had to be Protestant. South Carolina. Now, South Carolina even says uh, the established religion of this colony is the Christian Protestant religion. Um, you know, <laughs> Georgia, you had to be a Protestant. New Jersey, North, New Hampshire, you had to be a Protestant. Three states were real liberal. They said all you had to do was be a plain Christian to hold state office. And one state had zero religious requirements. Rhode Island founded by Baptists. They said if you required someone to be a Christian, they could say they were, even if they weren't, just to get elected, and that would be hypocritical. So just vote for the best Christian person you know. But here you see that the reason their big fear was the federal government was going to pick one Christian denomination and make it the national one, which is what every other country in the world did. England was Anglican. Scotland was Presbyterian. Holland was Dutch Reformed. Northern Germany and Sweden were Lutheran. Um, Switzerland was Calvinist. Italy, Spain, France, Austria, Poland, Ireland were Catholic. 
Greece was Greek Orthodox, Russia was Russian Orthodox. All the countries of Europe, it was one Christian denomination per country. And so their fear was this brand-new America, the federal government, was going to pick one denomination. And indeed, some were talking about it, like the, the Episcopal denomination. And you you know, even had Patrick Henry and, and uh, George Washington in favor of the Episcopal. But um, uh, the dec- decision was made to tie the federal government's hands so that they couldn't have a federal Walmart denomination come in town and put out of business your local state uh, denomination. Uh, they only thought there was a ditch on one side of the road, one denomination being this national. They, in their wildest dreams, couldn't imagine there was a ditch on the other side of the road, that someday in the future people would want to outlaw Christianity and even outlaw God. That was mm. so far from their thinking, they would be like me saying, someday people are, are not going to breathe air. It's like, what? And um, Impossible. And so again, you, you read the state constitutions, I wrote a book called The Original Thirteen. So there's an Irish potato famine, in the early 1800s, millions of Irish Catholics come to America, and the states begin to change from requiring you to be Protestant to just plain Christian. There's a persecution of Jews in the middle 1800s in Bavaria. A quarter of a million come to America, and states like Maryland changed from saying you had to be a Christian to you could be a Christian or a Jew in whole state office. This was in 1851. And then in 1860, they just said, oh, you just had to be a plain Christian. Um, and then, uh, like in 1868, North Carolina changed from requiring Christian to, to just believing in God. So you drop a pebble in the pond, the ripples go. First it was tolerance only for the denomination starts the colony. Then it goes out to Protestants, then it goes out to Catholics, then it goes out to Jews, then it goes out to anybody that believes in God, then it goes out to any religion, finally goes out to the atheists and the, Islam. And the last ones in decided they want to shove the first ones out. So everybody's tolerated in America except the Christians that founded the country. One of the Amazing. cases was so, so bizarre the, the, the judge, the federal judge, wanted to outlaw the teaching of creationism uh, because he didn't want kids being taught there was a creator to preserve the separation of church and state. Well, gee, separation of church and state was its phrase from Thomas Jefferson's letter, and Thomas Jefferson believed in a creator and mentioned it in the Declaration of Independence. All men are endowed by their church. So these lawyers are so brilliant, they can take Jefferson's words to outlaw what Jefferson believed. Well, and, and you know, today the quote, separation of church and state, has so come to, to mean the abolition of any moral boundaries, any moral parameters. And if you talk about morality and you talk to talk about ethics, they say, well, you're violating the First Amendment because you're imposing religion. Hey, this is airing the Addisons on the American Family Radio Network. Alex McFarlane sitting in while they travel, and we're talking with Bill Federer. We've got coming up Alan from Mississippi, and your calls too, 888-589-8840. Stay tuned. We'll continue our talk about God and country with author and historian Bill Federer. Don't go away. So there's this guy named Jordan, and he's a healthy guy. He's a dad of six, and he works as a guide in Alaska. But then he goes to the doctor, and he's diagnosed with cancer, stage four. And here's the thing. He had switched from medical insurance to MediShare, which is a Christian healthcare sharing ministry. So the question for Jordan and his wife, Jenny, was, is this really going to work? Our medical bills exceeded $160,000. MediShare members shared all our bills. And it was about more than just the money, too. This is a real community. MediShare is, is a family, a group of people that 
stick with you through the hardest times of your life. I just don't know how I could have done it without MediShare. It's so worth looking into. There's a reason this is growing so fast. If you want to find out more, here's a number for you. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Thoughts of the child you were carrying keep pouring over in your mind. You wish things could be different and the loss is overwhelming. A deep, unrelenting sadness overshadows your days and you wonder if you will feel whole again. There is hope and healing from a reproductive loss. Call the International Helpline, 866-482-LIFE, and talk with someone who has been where you are. Your call is confidential, 866-482-LIFE. Dad, I'm sure I saw Colton being mean to Candace. Dad, that's not what happened. I know what I saw. Oh, no. I have no idea how girls think. I don't know what to say. No dad has experienced every situation, but you may find helpful perspective at OneMillionDads.com. One Million Dads is here to help a godly man lead his family in love. Dad, say something. Okay, okay. Are you sure about what you saw? When words fail, try OneMillionDads.com, a ministry of the American Family Association. The 2019 Values Voter Summit is coming October 11th through the 13th to Washington, D.C. The summit will help inform and mobilize citizens across America to preserve the bedrock values that help make our nation strong. The event will include speakers like Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, American Values President Gary Bauer, Congressman Jim Jordan, host Mark Levin, and FRC President Tony Perkins. We may even hear from President Trump. Here's AFA Action Vice President Rob Chambers. We'll be sponsoring Benjamin Bull at our VBS luncheon. Benjamin Bull is AFA Action's Vice President for Governmental Affairs, and he'll be the guest speaker speaking on advancing religious liberty in an LGBT world. Register and get more information at valuesvotersummit.org. That's valuesvotersummit.org. Don't miss the 2019 Values Voter Summit, October 11th through the 13th in Washington, D.C., co-sponsored by the American Family Association. You go before I know that you've even gone to win my award. Your love becomes my greatest defense. It leads me from the In the Word of God in the New Testament, Philippians 1 verse 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it under the day of Jesus Christ. You know, I say that verse in the context of this talk about God and country because the good work that God begins in your life uh, commences at the moment of salvation. But uh, listeners, God has so much he wants to do in you and through you and to grow you and shape you and deepen your knowledge of his word. I believe God wants to deepen your knowledge of this Christian country that we have been uh, bequeathed with, and it's ours to uh, serve and invest in and make a difference in. And, you know, George Washington, you know, one, uh, one of the Washington quotes that I love, he says, in vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert religion and morality. And, and so if we're going to say that we love this country, we really have to love the, the underpinnings that gave us this country of freedom, 
security, prosperity, and that's been belief in objective morality. There are some things right and wrong. There is moral truth, but there is also objective reality when it comes to God and salvation, the Christian faith. Bill Federer has been so uh, so effectively documenting this for us, and we've got time for some calls. So folks, don't just be a citizen, be a patriot. And to truly be patriotic, I believe if we read our, our founding and read the ones that gave their lives to give us our liberties or preserve those liberties, they believed true patriotism was uh, love of country, service to this country by loving and serving God and being salt and light. And God wants to do that in you and through you, Philippians 1.6. So here's the number, 888 rare opportunity to ask a question of Bill Federer. And one person holding is Alan from Mississippi. Alan, are you still there? Yes, sir, I am. Thank you for your patience. Welcome to the American Family Radio Network and our guest, Bill Federer. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be able to talk to you, Alex, and I listen to you and Bert all the time for a Bible well, thank program. You. Thank you, my um, friend. Yes, thank you. Um, my dad was a, a patriot. We meant, you just mentioned patriot. My dad was an American patriot. He died He, he died recently, but he was uh, in World War II, and he was in a prison camp of Japan for three and a half years. And he almost made it well he did make it home of course but he died at 78 but um back really the reason i come was to say that i've been so blessed to be able to work in a faith-based initiative program in a prison in mississippi here and work for the seminary in new orleans Baptist theological and i'm really intrigued about what is going on with faith-based programs is this something that is still going on and increasing, or is it kind of come to a standstill? Um, because I think that the church needs to be working in state institutions. kind of goes along with church and state, but not separate, but united. So I'd just like to get his opinion on that and where the status is right now. Okay, Bill? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, thank you for the call, Alan, and uh, also thank you for your dad serving. And uh, I've read stories of the Japanese prisoner camps, and they were absolutely horrible, uh, that they viewed um, anyone who sur- They would rather commit Harry Carey than be captured. And so as a result, they viewed uh, Americans that they captured with terrible disdain and treated them horribly. So so uh, just, again, uh, my respect uh, for your father having to, uh, served in that, and in, in, then in the prison camp. Amen. Well, Amen. Um, uh, America. So we, uh, I tracked out in a book I wrote called Endangered Speeches, <laughs> how the ACLU, IRS, and LBJ threatened free speech. But I, I, I track it. And so you had three things that changed it, from uh, the country being very Christian and having religion under state's jurisdiction. The first is early 1800s, millions of Irish Catholics flooded into America, because of the Irish potato famine. There was a backlash, and many laws got on state books to say no money should go to Catholic schools. Uh, but they didn't specifically say Catholic, they said sectarian. And now uh, the public school system was Protestant. Um, and, uh, and so the Catholics didn't want to send their kids to the uh, uh, Protestant public schools, 
And so they created their parochial school system. This was all in the early 1800s. Second thing, evolution, Darwin, that species can evolve. A guy named Herbert Spencer, you know him because he coined the phrase survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. Herbert Spencer wanted to apply evolution to everything, including law. So there's a Harvard law professor, Christopher Columbus Langdale, and he applies and makes evolutionary law. He calls it case precedent theory of law. So instead right. of going back and reading the founding fathers and Blackstone and find out what they meant, forget that. You, you just take the most recent case and have it evolve a little bit at a time. Harvard is the only law school in the country teaching it this way. Every other law school, they're going back and reading the Founding Fathers and reading Blackstone and so forth. Third, and Bill, three. Bill, this is so important. And listeners, folks, you don't want to miss this. And, you know, maybe God's allowed us to do this hour of radio for specifically this point. Bill, if you would, as you explained, delineate between uh, a, a legal system based on natural law versus case law or progressive law. Well, there's a quote uh, that uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr., he was at Harvard. He got infected with this evolutionary law, and later uh, he is the one who issued all these cases, taking law out of state's jurisdiction and putting it under the federal. And um, his biographer uh, said, Holmes broke new intellectual trails. Instead of the law being something that came down from God... And the judge simply had to discover the, the scriptures. He said, now law is an ever-evolving thing, changing to the different economic and social conditions. So, so this is the breaking of the trail. Instead of saying, okay, we have this law, a natural law, um, you have the Blackstone use the, uses the phrase, he says, this is what you observe in nature, um, there's, law, there's laws of nature, laws of man, and laws of God. Uh, for example, he says adultery is breaking the laws of a man. Uh, I'm sorry, it's breaking the, the revealed laws of God, and it's also uh, breaking the, rele- re- the laws to, to man. But adultery is not a, a, a crime against the law of nature, because it's natural for a man to have relations with a woman. But he actually goes on to say, he says, that um, uh, homosexuality is a sin against God's law, a sin against man law, and the sin against nature. <laughs> because uh, you don't see this in nature, it brings forth death, right? Uh, there's no offspring that comes out of that type of uh, act. Um, and so, uh, so, so but, but even Blackstone says all law comes from God. It's just one way or the other. He says, originally, Adam and Eve, before they sinned, uh, that the laws of, of nature, they got they understood it, but but sin messed up man's conscience, and so God intervened and set down His direct revelation of His law. Um, but again, the evolutionary law says forget all that. Law is just what people agree upon, and so it's it. At first, it's nice we can all agree on things, but then it's like, wait a second, if we can control the media and education, we can change what the people believe, and if law is just what people believe on, then we can push our laws through. The, through the elementary school, and just wait a little time until these kids grow up, and then we can push it through the media, and we can push it through Hollywood, because if laws are just what we agree upon, let's just change what people agree upon. Yeah, you know, and, I, and, I, and there's no objective standard. It's, it's uh, culture, laws, certainly our Constitution is just forever fluid. Bill, let me ask you this. How concerned are you whenever you hear someone like a Hillary Clinton say, 
that the Constitution is, quote, a living document. Right. Our founders wanted it to be a dead document. <laughs> it means what the founders said it meant, and they signed off on it. It's like a, you're buying a house. You sign it, the seller signs it, and what if you're into it for 10 years and all of a sudden they double your house payment? And they said, oh, we, we reinterpreted a word in there. And uh, it's like, wait a second, this is what we agreed upon. That's what they're trying to do. Um, and so there's two ways to change laws. One, it's really labor-intensive. you got to get a whole lot of people to have your views, elect congressmen and senators with your views, elect the president with your views. Then you got to pressure them to pass a law, to sign a law. It's really labor-intensive. There's a whole lot easier way to change laws. You just get one of these evolutionary judges to expand the definitions of words that are in existing laws. Find new penumbras and emanations of words that are in existing words. It's a, it's a whole lot easier. They just make laws on the fly from the bench. So our founders and, said, and, yeah, and really words cease to if, if words are f- so fluid that they can be contorted to mean almost anything. Uh, then words really cease to have meaning, don't they? Uh, exactly. And uh, even Madison said this. He said that uh, we should interpret the laws with the intent of the founders and not to try to squeeze out some new meaning. And um, But, uh, 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 again... Hey, listen, uh, hang on, because time slips away. If she's still there, and I hope she is, Sally in Georgia, are you still holding Sally? Yes. Thank yes, you for I your am. patience. We want to be sure and get you in, and folks, so the number is 888 uh, Sally, go ahead. Your question for Bill Federer. Well, I got a comment. Like, I don't understand how preachers and people that are sitting under the Word of God is trying to change. They're they changing the way they think. They're letting people change the way they think. They're making God's Word out of a lie, and they just buying into it. And that I don't understand because... If, if I, I, may, I raised my children up in church, and I got one daughter say she's gay. And I told my daughter just like this. I said, baby, let me tell you something. That is not what God made you, and it will send you, it will destroy your soul. It will destroy you. I love my child, and I'm there sure. if she needs me. But I will never tell her a lie that it's okay to, for her to be with another woman. Never. God bless you. You're I, a good, godly mother. mother. I, do, I want her to be happy. If, if God said it was okay, I, I would be fine with it. But I just, you just, just got to tell the truth. And these days, people is not telling people the truth. People just going along with everything, everything, every, everything that come up, even people in church and preachers. I know. You're, you are so right. Bill, speak to this, if you would. And ma'am, thank you for, for listening, and thank you for a great call. And we will certainly pray for your daughter. But Bill, speak to this, if you would. Well, Jesus, our Savior, the one who died on the cross to pay for our sins, they went to him, and they asked him about marriage. He says, in the beginning, God made them male and female, and the man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. So Jesus, our Savior, said it's male and female, and that the male and female together is the marriage. Uh, If we're going to... pick and choose what uh, things of Jesus said that we're going to keep, uh, we're, we're, we'll throw it all out. Uh, we can't say, now if you realize, Jesus, uh, he was confrontational. We try to paint him as somebody that's, that's very weak-willed. His very first sermon ends with them wanting to push him off a cliff. Jesus is always having these Pharisees and Sadducees trying to trap him. One time he's at somebody's house for dinner, 
and the guy perceives that Jesus did not wash his hands. And Jesus says, you Pharisees are more concerned about the outside of the cup and not the inside. And he lays into the guy. And then a lawyer says, well, Jesus, by saying that, you're insulting us lawyers. He goes, let me tell you, you guys carry, lay burdens on people too heavy to carry. Don't even lift a finger yourselves. And then the chapter ends, and you wonder if they ever got around to eating dinner. <laughs> Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, with the prideful, was very tough. With the humble, he was completely loving. And so we have to understand that there's the, the in Jesus, the justice and mercy of God meet. Jesus did not do away with the law. He simply paid the penalty of us breaking the law. But in heaven, there's not going to be any murdering or adultery or raping or stealing or lying, or nobody's going to take God's name in vain in heaven. The commandments are still there, right? Well, and, and let me say on, this. On earth as it is in heaven. We're still supposed to follow those things. Jesus just paid the penalty for us breaking those the laws. To, to the caller's point, let me say this to parents, leaders, educators, elected officials, and certainly pastors— we are called, and, and you know, leadership is really something entrusted by God. And you read, you read uh, Romans chapter 13, and civil government is ordained and sanctioned by God. Really, good, righteous, moral leaders are ministers for God. But here's my point, folks. Um, we have no right to tell people merely what they what we think they might want to hear. We have to tell people what they need to hear. And these preachers that say homosexuality is not a sin anymore, these preachers that would never cry out against unrighteousness, and uh, the preachers that don't believe, you know, premarital sex or abortion is a sin, uh, these preachers that are universalists, that, well, there's many ways to have it, they're going to answer to God for it. They're, they're going to answer to God. We're called to proclaim truth, but we're not allowed to revise it or truncate it. Hey, Bill, we're, I hear that music, and uh, Angel from Texas, we'll try to get you on tomorrow. Hey, I want to thank you for being on today, Bill, and we look forward to hearing your messages at Truth for a New Generation in Richmond tomorrow. Looking forward to being there, Alex. God bless you, and thanks for all the callers. God bless you all. Hey, uh, Truth For New Generation, go to the website truthforanewgeneration.com if you're in the Richmond, Virginia area. We want to see you there as we get equipped to stand strong for truth. Answers to the tough questions, Scripture speaking to today's issues. Hey, be with us again tomorrow, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, as we continue with airing the Addisons on the American Family Radio Network. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless you. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.